This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 5th of April 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it is a discussion of identity, of nature versus nurture. It is a discussion of how to express gratitude and the the value more so of expressing gratitude and how easy it is for our brains to embed that habit as as an everyday thing without it being um without it being too wishy-washy or flaky something very practical and pragmatic um i also talk today about HSPs, highly sensitive people um, of, of, of whom there are many, of whom I might be one, and you, and many of us. And I look at the, uh, the funny side of that, um, as well as maybe the more serious side of that. And I conclude today with some very, very strange behavior uh, it's very strange consensual behavior that you might find a bit confronting um and i'm not going to give that one away but that's at the uh, that's at the very end so that's uh something to look out for um and maybe be, be a bit wary of <laughs> okay so that's it that's what's coming up and um yeah i'll, I'll see you around the corner cheers Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome and I hope you're well. How's it going? How's your your week been? Or how's your life been? <laughs> do, you ever, do, you, do, you ever, do you ever think about that? Do you ever, do you ever put your, your wellness into a lifelong context and go, this is how my life has been until now? Uh things are looking up <laughs> i'm on a i'm on a downward trajectory it's funny i i was playing uh football as in soccer the round ball game an astroturf game so um what were we a six aside a seven a six aside last week and it's it's mostly guys in their may maybe the the, the youngest grown-ups there they might be late 30s so mostly 40s early 50s that sort of age group uh very friendly game and this game i got invited to this game by a friend uh an actor i worked with many years ago hi russell if you're listening um i only give shout outs to people who i think do occasionally listen (laughs) but anyway um yeah nice bunch of lads and the game i don't know when it started like mid-year last year or something um and for many of them it was a return to playing after long layoffs but um it's quite a yeah it's become quite a good standard of of a game and nicely competitive but one of the guys brings his son when we're we're short a player now his son is only 12 or 13 <laughs> but he's six foot or more um 
and a very skillful little ball player. And he wasn't there last week, but he, he, he'd been there the previous week and it was the best I'd seen him play. And I commented uh, on that to somebody and they said, well, the worrying thing is he's only going to get better while the rest of us are only going to get worse. And I was like, yep, yeah, I'm afraid that is true. <laughs> so sorry, that, that just popped in my head when uh, I was thinking of trajectories, um, which begs the question, which begs the question, what what upward trajectory is there, is present, is palpable as as you get older? Um, do do we get more relaxed? Do we do we care less? Do we sweat the small stuff less? Do is there an upward trajectory on the the acceptance index? I mean that's what I aspire to personally. I I I, I want to get I want to get calmer and more accepting, which is not to be um I'm not I'm not making that uh, an equivalent of complacency. So yes, not to be equated with complacency because that's a very different beast. Um, Complacency is is not caring, um, not being concerned. Um, And I think that's very different to acceptance. Or maybe maybe that's just semantics. I I don't know. I, I always feel that there's a... A negative component to complacency you know verging on inertia or apathy just simply not not giving a crap and there's something in that the not caring that i feel is corrosive to to one spirit <laughs> how about that um if you believe if you believe in such things if you believe in a in a spirit, um, I, I don't really believe in a spirit as such in any sort of religious sense, but I do believe in in an animating life force. Uh, and even as I say that, 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 again, it sounds you know quasi mystical. We're alive because the body functions. That's it, isn't it? So my heart's beating, my brain's functioning, my lungs do what they're meant to do. Everything else is doing what it's meant to do, the circulatory system, the respiratory system. And as long as those things are functioning, I am here. And then what then distinguishes each of us from anybody else? And that's whatever makes us us. And of course, that returns me to one of my favorites, the, the, this idea of hexiety, the thing that makes you, you, the thing that makes me, me. And in, you know, that is what I would think of as your essential spark, um, which I don't believe is, you know, given by a divine power or anything like that. But it, that, that is a tricky one. I mean, you know, we can talk about nature and nurture um ultimately i think we're a product of both things you know we're a product of where we came from who we were born to what's on the you know what's the you know what whatever the the genetic 
legacy and handover is. And then, you know, my my long-held theory, if you're talking about somebody's essential makeup, is that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're partly our, you know, we're partly our, our biological parents um, and we're partly our, ourselves. And the, the struggle for identity, the battle for identity is, is a battle between those components. You know, which one is going to be stronger? Which one is going to take the reins of the horse, um, of the horses, the, uh, and, and bring them, bring them under control? Um, and I think that's, that's often, you know, the battle in, in any of us. Um, and of course you can, you can kind of go, well, hold on, but what if someone's not with, hasn't been raised by their biological parents for whatever reason, um, then, you know, then I'm not sure. I think obviously nurture plays a big part there, although that person will have brought some genetic footprint from the biological biological parents um even if they were separated at, at a young age um and i think my my theory of this kind of idea of the the, the three competing core elements mother father self um I, I think that still works in that context um, and then there are other environmental factors, of course, that always come into play. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I've, I've already forgotten where that came from. So maybe I'm maybe I'm getting a bit, bit senile in my, my middle age. Um, yes. So today, there's a few different things bopping around my head and maybe they're related to what I've opened with today. Um, I'm, I mean, I often come back to identity and, and, and self and how we orient ourselves in the universe. Um, and again, that can sound a bit flaky, but sometimes it's, sometimes that's a frame of, of reference or a sort of a, a larger metaphor that I like because it's I don't know maybe it's connected to humility maybe it's a type of leveling maybe it's just reminding myself of of um of that journey that everyone is on I feel that I mean I, I always have I always make this assumption <laughs> in true solipsistic fashion i always make the assumption that everyone is you know has these feelings of of being alone everyone has these feelings of being the the solitary traveler um although maybe that's that that that's hugely influenced by me giving myself far too much time to think um because obviously being engaged in other things um, and immersing ourselves in other things can be a great way to avoid the head and avoid over contemplation and over introspection and over reflection. But that's kind of my jam. Here's some raspberry jam. Here's some gooseberry jam. Here's some rhubarb and ginger jam. 
and here's some holy God, will this guy not stop thinking jam? Yeah, that's a that's a very particular flavor. Uh, you might not want too much of that on your toast. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw a funny clip on Instagram yesterday morning, and I was I was in I was I was just in stitches laugh, laughing at it. I thought it was very funny. Um, and basically, <laughs> I think the t- title of the clip is "All Your Pain in One Video," and it was. I don't know, 10 or 15 (laughs) little things that could drive you mad. And it started with an egg being cracked open. And as the egg hit the plate or the bowl uh, or the frying pan, the yolk immediately split and started to merge into the the album, um, the white album, one of of the Beatles, uh, lesser known lesser known uh, efforts um, a pencil being placed on a piece of paper and the nib snapping immediately someone trying to spread hard butter on a slice of fresh bread <laughs> somebody putting a thick layer of jam or marmalade onto a slice of toast or bread and then they drop it and it lands marmalade side down on the floor somebody zipping up their jacket and the zip is broken so the zip just you know the, the zipper just splits uh a whole a whole load of those and i just thought this is <laughs> yeah i did this the kind of stuff that has me just losing my mind at times and i just thought this is perfect absolutely perfect um yeah so good old good old instagram good old instagram throwing up stuff like that uh, there was also a cat chiropractor um that was quite funny too a little kitten needing another and that's needing with a, a k-n-e-a rather than an n-double-e-d uh needing another kitten but you know a little voiceover as if it was a, a chiropractor that was quite cute too great stuff rich 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 content as always on the clear out um so i'm where where to where to begin and you're thinking hold on have you not already begun it's uh nearly 13 minutes in um no that's just that's just preamble that's just preamble maybe i'll start with an expression of gratitude okay and this is not join me while we say thank you to the universe it's not one of those it's a direct thanks to i have a new patron I want to give a shout out to Kay, a listener from America, I believe, who became a patron of the podcast last week. And she reached out to me with a very nice message and had actually come across me because of one of my stories that I wrote for Aura, the the sleep and wellness app. Aura, can you feel my aura? And yeah, it 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 was a lovely thing to receive. And... Funnily enough, I, I she had become a patron just before the release of last week's episode, where I explicitly, <laughs> I, I I I had a call to action, um, which was yeah, become a patron, become a patron, support this independent effort as I close in on one hundred episodes and two years of work on this thing, um, because I could really use the help. 
and I'd really appreciate the help and it's a validation um, and it's an acknowledgement of the effort that goes into this and it's an acknowledgement that you, if you become a patron, uh, believe that the the effort here is worthwhile. So so there you go. That's um that's a that's a callback to last week's episode. But anyway, um this K became a patron before that episode went out and sent me a very nice message. And it was great. It was great. And it came at a good time. It kind of gave me a little boost. I was like, all right, nice, cool. Because this is this is not somebody who knows me. This isn't a friend or a family member. Um and you know, friends and family members, their support is very welcome anyway. But it's nice when it's there's no connection, it's just on the the merits of the 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 work or the merits of the output that someone feels inspired to to reach out and i was particularly pleased because the story that kay had responded to was not a generically straightforward feel good wellness parable and i tend to try and produce those for the app because often it's a sleep story or it's meant to be a story that is easy to listen to and kind of quite chill. Um, and this story, it was, the title of the story was, was and is a difficult truth. And fundamentally, it's about a, a grown up daughter visiting her dying mother. And they simply have irreconcilable differences. And it's meant to be a story about sort of acceptance and acceptance of imperfect love acceptance of very flawed love acceptance of family disharmony acceptance of um, a damaged and damaging parent and it was short it's 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 not a long it's not a long piece and i i reread it after receiving this nice message and patronage from Kay just to refresh my memory and yeah it's like it's a prickly little story but I think I think I achieved putting something down there that is true Um, and that's really what I was trying to get at Um, that the truth that sometimes these um, sometimes I think probably often these familial relationships are very challenging and um, it's important that we put something out that counters the idea that, you know, that, that, that these things are overcome or have happy endings or happy resolutions. Often they don't. And it's a, it's a very messy, um, a very messy, turbulent and often lifelong challenging lifeline that stays in us and continues to disrupt and upset and unsettle and i think it's 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 a massive challenge for anyone who's had that experience to 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 put it in a place that they can live with and be genuinely at peace with it and in a way, that's what I was trying to achieve in that story was to depict an adult child going, yeah, this hasn't been perfect and it's been very painful, but but grand. And I'm comfortable with my decision to to step away and put down a boundary. <laughs> and I'm laughing because if anybody knows me, they're like, hmm, this sounds strangely familiar. 
So there's, there's a lot, a lot of me in that story. I was like, I, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, in any case, it doesn't matter. That that is that really doesn't matter because uh, for K, um, it had a huge impact, and she was very um, open in communicating that to me. And I just want to say thank you, Kay, because I know she listens to the the podcast as well. So that is my expression of gratitude. And I am, if it, if I haven't made it clear over 97 episodes, this is episode 98, I am a huge, huge believer in the expression of gratitude. Um, and I'm not talking about, uh, it's not a wellness habit I have. It's not part of my routine. It's not a an affirmation or a mantra that I engage in. It's, it's, it's just habitual. And, um, I just think it's very important to, to acknowledge the positives. I think that's a very, that in itself is, it's very good karmic practice. And it doesn't matter if things have been, um, complicated or other aspects of whatever it is you feel grateful for haven't been perfect i think it's important to to recognize and acknowledge the the positive areas um and just to give you an example okay just to give you an example of what i'm talking about and forgive me if this sounds somewhat self-aggrandizing that's not that's not my intention but um i worked in a private hospital in melbourne for two years as an operating theatre technician. I think I've mentioned this at some point in the past on the on the podcast. And that was a really interesting, a really interesting experience. Um, but it had some very, very challenging aspects to it. Like, um, like so many um, institutions, these core... Uh, foundational institutions of any society Uh, i'm talking about education i'm talking about health i'm talking about policing as three very very obvious examples of what i'm talking about um you get such entrenched behaviors such entrenched cultures and yes such (laughs) institutionalized thinking and you know when you spend time in those environments um and you pay attention you start to you know your 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 radar to tune into those things um yeah if if you're if you're tuning in at all you can't not um see the the complexity uh, the complexities of those behaviors, the complexities of that thinking, the contradictions, the sometimes the sort of obtuseness of that behavior. Um, and certainly I saw a lot of aspects of that when I was working um, in this hospital um, and saw, came across a lot of personalities that, um, what is there, is there a, is there a polite way to say this? Um, hmm. And again, I'm not trying to, to save anybody here because I doubt anyone from from my my time there would ever listen to this. But that's 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 besides the point. That's um, I, you know, personalities that were. 
I don't know. I think what happens with institutionalized thinking is people fall into an automatic mode of behavior and an automatic mode of decision making and you know common sense or um real emotional intelligence gets chucked out the window and that that can i think that can fossilize and become so fundamental to the running of things um and that's what leads to over time really bad outcomes um to use a dreaded uh, contemporary sort of workplace word um but people become dehumanized in many ways by institutionalized thinking and it's it's massively environmental and it's massively sort of legislated i think by by the individual and squared away um as just been that's what we do here that's normal um and it's you know when you see it and you recognize it 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 can often be just really detestable sort of behavior uh horrible stuff anyway grant so i had two years in this private hospital and there was a lot of good stuff there and some not so good stuff and it was very much about like the way it ran as far as as i could tell in, in my area you know in and out of surgery all day long the the you know the big driving thing was keep the surgeons happy keep the surgeons happy and keep the lists ticking over um and sometimes that being the overarching kind of driver of the the business model you could find yourself feeling quite cynical about the whole thing even though the level of care was generally excellent um, at all times but i couldn't wait to get out of there um when i had an opportunity to to leave and again i had never any desire to to work in healthcare. that was just i needed a job and my my brother-in-law was a nurse there and he was like look you'll you'll be able to get in there easily enough they need they're always looking for technicians and they'll train you on the job grant so i went in and it was fine and it was all very interesting uh, until it just wasn't and i was happy to leave and that i left around it was the year my daughter was born in uh, 2013 but i did feel as much as i was delighted to get out of there and get away from certain personality types and certain kind of cynical management figures um and yeah people who were very much an example of that sort of institutionalized thinking i was just talking about there were loads of people who just who who were just brilliant and certainly people who were very helpful to me and people who treated me very well um and helped me uh get educated uh to us to a huge extent in that area having had no exposure to that world before and i just felt the right thing to do here is just to acknowledge that and send um you know, I, I, I can't remember if it was a card or an email. It might have been an email. And it was just thanking um, the various people that I would have worked closest with, um, you know, particularly the, you know, the, the, the nursing staff and the other technicians um, 
Um, and I know afterwards it was much commented upon and it was put up on the, the notice board um, on, on the, the hallway outside the, the operating theatres. And, you know, it, it was much commented on because it happened so rarely and happens, you know, so rarely and maybe even never from people who would be higher up in the organisation and moved on to other other places of work. But, um, but yeah, so, and again, look, I wasn't doing it to go, look at me, I'm such a good boy, I said thank you. Um, I mean, my conscience wouldn't be clear because, like, I was there and it wasn't like I'd said to everyone, oh, by the way, I'm not coming back. I just had an opportunity to leave and I was gone and then I didn't come back. So I just felt like, well, that's a bit rude <laughs> to all the people I had worked with. Um, so anyway, yeah. So the expression of gratitude, it's, to me, that's a very, that's a very, um, that's a very easy thing to give. But I suppose you have to, well, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's not about what you have to do, but the way I think of it is, are you looking are you actually looking for things to be grateful for? And this is just very basic. Um, I don't know if it, if it, it falls into the, the, the psychology category, but this is so basic and fundamental and obvious to me. And it's like the thing where you get yourself a new car and suddenly you see that car everywhere you go. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or you get yourself, I don't know, it could be anything, couldn't it? You get yourself a new, I don't know, a new phone. <laughs> I don't know what, a new bicycle. Um, and you start to see it everywhere. So it's when you've alerted your brain to the presence of something, the existence of something, and turned your brain's attention to that thing. It's like, it's like your brain is this well-trained dog. It's like Pepper, my dog, our dog, the family dog here at Hashtag Blessed. And when she's on a mission, her focus is unbreakable. And this is, you know, Pepper's a sheepdog, so it's in her, it's in her breeding. It's in her nature. And when she's on a mission to track, not track because they're not hunting dogs, but they're watching dogs. They're watching shepherding dogs. And yeah, she's hilarious. Like once she's like, this is what I need to be looking at. Bang. Eyes are locked on. So even in the morning when I go out into the now currently into the backfield to do my stuff and Pepper comes with me and I throw this big ring for her, which she, you know, basically it's a, a 45 minute session of fetch while I'm trying to do my stretches and Tai Chi stuff. Um, and all her normal affectionate behavior is set to one side because she's in work mode and all she wants to do is get that ring, bring it back, get that ring. So, and even if I manage to, to grab her, to give her a cuddle or a pat, she is trying to get away from me because she's got a job to do. Um, and so I think to go back to what I was talking about, this idea of what are we looking for? And I think the brain needs virtually no prompt at all to, to latch on to this is what I should be looking at. 
And so I think that's the exercise because I think we're very good. <laughs> we're very good at being aware of what we don't like. We're very good at that. Very good at going, these are my wounds. This is my pain. This is my resentment. This is what I'm annoyed about. This is who I'm angry with. This is where I feel let down. This is where life hasn't been kind to me. And if we're overly focused on that, I think we forget or we overlook or we neglect what is here and what is positive and what is in my, you know, in my framing, what is life giving. And I think that's a really important thing to go. All right, cool, cool, brilliant. Um, I need to acknowledge that. And it's the acknowledgement of that. I think it's like it's a form of illumination. It's a form of, you know, it's like switching on a light and going, there you go. You know, I see you there now and you're more visible to me. And that's nice. No, <laughs> it's yeah, I don't know that, that maybe that sounds a bit naff. Anyway, 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 look, grand. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. Gratitude. So, yeah, just just have a quick, you know, just think just maybe take that away and think about that. What are you grateful for? You know, is there something you should acknowledge? Is there someone you should acknowledge? Um, because I think this idea of paying it forward, I suppose, it can be very meaningful. It can be very meaningful to other people. And I think we can really underestimate, um, we can really underestimate the, the impact that, those gestures of gratitude, those acknowledgements can have on someone else. And I think it really does dwell in the realm of, of being seen because I think many people, um, and certainly I would, I, I would, I would experience this, um, you can feel unseen. That deep interiority, um, however that manifests itself, and, you know, it's deeply personal, deeply internal, deeply private, and often maybe deeply uncomfortable um, and connected to those very vulnerable parts of ourselves. Um and yet, I think for a lot of people, I think there's a, an instinctive emotional intelligence in us that understands this stuff kind of needs to be shared or needs to be seen because that will alleviate the, the you know, the, the sense of the sense of anguish, the sense of um isolation of aloneness um but 
and, and I don't know, maybe maybe that's a very male thing as well. I'm not I'm not sure, but I, I don't I don't know if I really truly believe that. I mean I, I just think it's a I think it's an everybody thing. Um but I think yeah, I mean, look, how could I possibly do something like I do here on the podcast? How could I have written the stuff I've written on the on the blog, you know, before the podcast came into being? I mean, I've shared a lot of stuff, um, and I couldn't do that if I didn't believe in the in in the value of, of this kind of emotional transparency that I I, I, I dabble in. Um, yeah, and so okay, so gratitude and reaching out and acknowledging all that stuff that's a very positive i think that's a very positive uh, ripple to be involved in now it's not the it's not the overall driving motivation it's not the defining thing it's just one aspect it's one aspect of how you can conduct yourself that's all because it would be incredibly boring and excruciatingly uncomfortable and awkward if all you're ever doing is going around thanking people like a bloody loo ball no one's interested in that you know choose your moments like you know again with all of this with any of this you know you've got to exercise good judgment you've got to choose the moment <laughs> otherwise the men in white coats are coming or the women in white coats whoever the peoples in white coats <laughs> all right now listen the next thing the next thing is I was looking at an article a couple of days ago and there's, the article was about the fact that there's a new category of person. Um, so again, this kind of, you know, social psychology, um, pop psychology stuff. Although this is, yeah, I mean, it just feels very topical at the moment. Anyway, this new group of people, and you might be one of them, I might be one of them, they're called... HSPs. Are you a HSP? Or if you don't want to sound the H, are you an HSP? HSP stands for highly sensitive person. Now, I read that article, and you know, to my great relief, the journalist writing the article was sort of uh, he was kind of laughing at himself, uh, you know, throughout the article, even though he was engaging with the topic quite seriously. But he was aware of the, the pitfalls of maybe being too self-serious around the topic. But I read it and I was thinking, I've often thought of myself as, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing. This is That's a total deflection. Sometimes that, when that laugh comes in, I'm deflecting. But in all seriousness... For a long time, I've thought I am a highly sensitive person. And yes, in you know you can get paranoid sometimes when you're react, reacting to things. And it, it, mostly this is in the area of interpersonal relationships. Um, and in the article, it makes clear highly sensitive person. It's not just about interactions with other, with other people. It can be all kinds of things. And it can be very sensorily based. So responding to textures or um, things that you can see or sound I mean uh, I know, you know my wife for example will be very sensitive to sound and noise um, she's always given out to me because I I have a sort of a, an unconscious 
um, sighing habit. Um, now, that's not to say I sigh when I'm unconscious, but rather I sigh and I'm not aware of it until she points it out with great exasperation. <laughs> Why are you sighing? You just sighed again. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, I, yeah, I, <laughs> for a long, long time, I've thought of myself as being a very sensitive person. And I may have even spoken about this before. And I feel like the vast majority of my, my male friends uh, are very sensitive people. And I've always been drawn to the sensitive personality type. And probably fundamentally, I'm talking, you know, maybe you could conflate sensitivity with empathy. So people who are sort of emotionally open and willing to have an exchange. And those people are, are often sensitive. And I, I've realized over the years as well that the that's that there's just there's such rewards from having people like that in your life and they can you know they have been and continue to be great friends and very supportive people to me um and i hope i i, I offer them the same in return but, but of course the, the the dark side of that is you know people you know we the, the, these people can be so sensitive that you're like you know you can you, you can offend them or hurt them um and you know maybe not realize you've done so like that certainly happened to me with quite you know with a few of my friends um and maybe yeah they've probably been guilty of doing that to me as well and then that tests that tests well okay sensitivity is all good well and good but can you can you negotiate the successful repair of you know highly sensitive friendships and you know grown men clutching their pearls going oh i can't believe you said that thing to me um luckily luckily so far those friendships are all very much intact um but yeah so yeah look i was thinking in relation to this this highly sensitive person thing my default assumption is that we're all sensitive um now I'm not sure what you what you know what 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 you make of that if if that is to you very self-evident um because again I just think of course you know the human animal it's a sensitive animal and one of the things we're most sensitive to is other people um and I think on a on a very fundamental level that is it's a it's a very it's a hard wired animal impulse that is about self-preservation and self-protection and it's having an incredibly sensitive radar to to danger and threat um and of course if you're going back through the history of evolution and you're going back to cavemen or whatever, those sensitivities would have been directed at very obvious uh, predators, very obvious dangers in in that time. Um, watch out for that woolly mammoth. Uh, I don't think it has good intentions. It's going to step on me and kill myself and five other guys with one step. 
watch out for that saber-toothed tiger. I think those teeth are trying to tell me something. But over our evolution, we're now in a, a stage of of human behavior where the 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 language that we're able to use around sensitivity around the idea of who poses a threat to me it's it, it you know it, it, it it's exponentially um you know it's exponentially sort of developed and magnified and expanded and metastasized into its own it it it's it, it's its own kind of subculture of of human interaction and yes once again yet again and almost sort of ad infinitum to 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 terribly boring effect it's impossible not to think of culture wars identity politics and woke culture when we're talking about sensitivity um like has there ever been more space made in the history of, of of humanity has there ever been more space made to accommodate sensitive people um and has that uh, you know has has the internet not been the great accelerant um you know the, the great kind of igniter of these sensitivities and certainly of the the ability to bang on endlessly about one's sensitivities and how one is triggered i'd say not so when i think of of being sensitive i i i I try to always just keep it in 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 the real world and um and in my own world in terms of who do i interact with who am i exposed to what am I exposed to and what's my role in all of this um, and what of what use is it to me to be in that mode um, and I generally 90% of the time lean towards this is great like it, it's good it's it, you know it's nice to be tuned in to to other people um i again i have i have great faith in that as a as a good way to be and as a sort of a it's you know it's an enriching element in my life and in my my friendships and relationships um and the only thing is you know know, the only thing I, i could say to sort of put an edge on that is when you're not in great form or when certain relationships are not going well that sensitivity can allow you to go to to bad places um and certainly i've spoken uh in relatively recent times about catastrophizing um scenarios and situations in my mind and then that that can nudge up very very comfortably with my my what my depressive instinct or my depressive triggers um and it can be a very potent cocktail 
um, of elements that thankfully have become quite successful at you know negotiating with minimal um, if any collateral damage at this stage so I'm just going to take a drink but yeah to back to go back to the article the HSPs um, I mean ultimately I came away from it kind of going okay this is you know, you know, is 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 it just clickbait? Is it just another trendy little term? And it's going to give a certain personality type um, a validation and a little title label for themselves. To go, well, actually, I'm a HSP, so I, I won't be having any of the avocados. Thank you very much. Uh, it definitely, I definitely came away from the article feeling a little bit cynical. Um. Because again, because my default mode is look, we're all we're all sensitive. Let's not let's not elevate this to something else. And the the article seemed to suggest that there wasn't a lot of literature around this particular topic. Um, but it just yeah, it just jumped out at me, and I thought, okay, this is worth a look. And then I was like, hmm, maybe it's not that interesting after all. But as I say, for some people, it's. Um, and again, the picture that was painted from the article was highly sensitive people on a certain level find the world unbearable, unbearably challenging and difficult and can be left in tears by many, many different things um, and many different memories. Um, to me, that's an unsustainable way to be to live like to me that just sounds like it would be utterly exhausting and again i i think the the onus is on all of us to self <laughs> to self-regulate and and to 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 to, to make a, a connection back to woke the woke sort of position and the the prioritization of the subjective experience over all else. I found myself thinking about this earlier going, it's important to remind ourselves at times that it isn't the world's responsibility to tiptoe around our sensitivities and sensibilities um, it really isn't the world's responsibility. It's not life's responsibility to accommodate us and our needs. Um, now, I'm not talking about social economic stuff. I'm not talking about what a society needs to provide for the people who live in it. I'm not talking about a government's responsibilities and um, you know the, the, the you know the, the distribution of. Um, of spending, uh, you know, within the government's budget for, you know, these things that we all need. I'm not talking about that. I mean, fundamentally, I'm talking about other people. Other people are not responsible for how we feel. They're not responsible for um, pulling tricky things out of our way. They're not responsible for clearing the path before us. So nothing unpleasant you know, has to spoil our view or offend our senses. I mean, this is really important. 
it's really important to kind of remind ourselves of that and go just come on hold just cop on to yourself <laughs> that's <laughs> i should i should be a keynote speaker at the highly sensitive people conference uh lads just um just cop on to yourselves okay you're grand now just go out there and have a coffee and, and feck off home thanks very much i've been dara clear <laughs> um yeah so i don't know you know it's so much is on us to work it out for ourselves I, I really believe that i mean you know again this is like i mean i always go back to kind of you know the you know the the the, the median like there are extreme situations there is extreme life experience trauma etc that stuff needs to be worked on with the help of others with professionals don't hesitate i mean if you need that stuff if you have any even remote inkling in yourself that you know what i'd benefit from a bit of therapy i'd benefit from counseling i'd benefit from some help go for it find the means find the way ask for help because that can be a life-changing experience and the beginning of a journey back to to health and wellness and a better relationship with yourself and from there many many good things can flow um but barring those needs um and barring a roughly not too bad situation it's on you it's on you to to look after yourself um and don't expect other people to to do it for you um and don't you know don't begrudge that don't be resentful of that and and be very clear a lot of people haven't a clue what's going on for you so unless you've told them and specifically laid stuff out they're not gonna know either so you can't be angry with people for stuff they don't know and we can't presume that they know what's going on for us does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the, the final topic of discussion for today's episode. Uh, I thought I'd have time, I thought I was going to have time to talk about um, parenting and fathers and sons and my my own thinking in that area. Um, I'm remembering how when my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Initially, I was all my thinking was around the idea of being a father to a son, and then um, moving away from that idea and getting into this, you know, to, to, and entering into a very different frame of thinking um, about becoming the father to a daughter. Uh, but I might have to. I'm going to save that. I'm going to come back to that. You know, maybe next week or in another episode. Um, because it, 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 and this is purely about the time. I, I didn't realize I'd get to <laughs> almost the fifty-five minute mark and not have touched on that. So there was another thing I want to talk about. And if you are a highly sensitive person, I strongly, I strongly advise caution before listening to this next bit, because it, it may be something that you find uncomfortable. Um. So, a couple of weeks ago, there was a news story from London, baby, uh, about 
a criminal case that had come up in the courts. A gang, a gang that had been busted. And the leader of this gang was a Norwegian man who was known as the eunuch maker. Dun, dun, dun. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this sounds very scary. And basically, basically, uh, I, I clicked on the, the story. Um, and yes, I, I mean, I had, you know, having only seen the headline, I thought this is going to be some really dark, grim, nasty, sadistic stuff. And as it turns out, it, it wasn't. But this did involve dismemberment and it did involve the removal of genitals, male genitals. And I think it involved the removal of part of a leg. But it was all consensual. And so almost instantly, I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> Sure, that's fine. You know, no one was torturing anybody else. This was all consensual, um, you know, willing adult participation in a very strange cult of behavior revolving primarily around the removal of male genitals. And the, the article made reference to the fact that this particular group um, this particular cult or this type of behaviour, the people involved refer to themselves as nullos. Uh, nullo, N-U-L-L-O. And I wanted to sort of revisit that and go, hold on, what, what's the what's the story here? Like, where, where does this come from? What's it about? And so I just did a tiny bit of looking into this um, before recording today. Because I, I just I wanted to go. What the hell, people? People? What? What do people get up to? What are people capable of? The answer is everything, and anything. They get up to everything. They're capable of anything. And nullo, I've learned, is short for genital nullification. Okay, genital nullification. I also found out that nullos are also sometimes called or refer to themselves as smoothies. <laughs> what do you think of that? So I thought, you know, a smoothie was something healthy I like to drink. Um, but apparently it's it's something else as well. Now, when I read that smoothie, I instantly, I instantly thought of, of Barbie and Ken and children's dolls because they are invariably smoothies and i thought is this is is this is there some kind of thing about that i want to look like i want to look like ken i want to look like barbie and i want to be a smoothie and have no apparent genitals um now i didn't uncover anything in that area but i i saw something um, and I have to thank my good friends at Wikipedia for, for most of you know, what I'm about to share. I saw something called Scoptic Syndrome. Scoptic Syndrome. 
so I clicked on that because I thought, okay, well, this sounds promising. It might get us to the, the heart of the psychological inclination that's involved here, the psychological disposition. And Skoptic syndrome is described as a desire to be a eunuch and the desire for gentle nullification. And it's often connected to feelings of guilt and shame around the sexual urge which and this is interesting because it recalls um george orwell's thing i was talking about last week and where he was saying you know the the sex urge and the orgasm are you know will no longer exist in a fascist totalitarian state um but in any case yeah that, that's the the skoptic syndrome and it's like okay fine so what does skoptic mean and skoptic comes from skoptsy scopt c which is i think s-k-o-p-t-s-y and scoptsy comes from a sculpted comes from a sect that originated in russia in the 18th century and this was a religious sect that believed to be truly uh religiously pure one had to remove one's genitals to return one to the state of pre-original sin. And their belief was that Adam and Eve, when they first laid together, when they first had sex and brought about the original sin and were then cast out of Eden cast out of paradise and set humanity forever after on a path of immorality and venality and self-destruction and frailty and all the stuff that I do not believe in for one millisecond um, they believe that the the reason Adam and Eve did this of course if you know your Bible is because they they ate the forbidden fruit in the in the Garden of Eden um, you know, Satan in the guise of a snake, of a serpent, convinced them to taste the forbidden fruit and then they knew sin and they knew shame and they were aware of their nakedness. And the scopsi, um, which is plural for scopset, I think, which I think translates as castrate, they believed that the forbidden fruit was split in two halves and each half made the genitals of Adam and Eve and so in this sect the men would remove their they'd have their penises cut off and women would have mastectomies they'd have their breasts removed and sometimes they'd also have their the females would have their genitals stitched up and maybe have their um a clitoris a clitor, a clitoridectomy is that it's, it's, it's called um and this was done, I read, without anaesthetic. Um, sometimes the men would also have their scrotum and testicles removed. And they had a they had a term for this. Um, the Scopsy, and again, I'm, I'm just actually, I'm going to read this directly from, um, I'm just kind of scanning the Wikipedia page now. Um they these people they refer to themselves as the white doves 
and the they yeah they they what they felt they were doing was removing or eradicating original sin and once this this act of disfigurement or removal however you want to put it once it was done they referred to it as a type of seal so the lesser seal on a man was when the testicles removed um, and the penis remained and the greater seal involved the removal of the penis or even both penis and testicles so a lesser seal and a, a greater seal um and yeah amazing stuff amazing stuff and it was all about you know preventing uh ejaculation preventing the flow of of semen um yeah and apparently during this during the operation as i said not without anesthetic they said the phrase christ is risen um and this went on for years and years um and again according to wikipedia it reached the peak of its popularity in the early 20th century um but then i did see something i thought was quite quite funny um by the mid 1800s yeah here's a good one like i I thought this was interesting (laughs) i feel like there's a monty python sketch in this by the mid 1800s the sect was reported as having Five and a half thousand members, so nearly four thousand men and about fifteen hundred women. And although scopticism, as it was known, prescribed castration as a precondition for entering paradise, only a minority of members, seven hundred men and a hundred women, had undergone bodily mutilation. And for some reason, I found that I thought that was very funny. Um, I, I just had this image of all these um, th- these kind of devotees, um, members of the sect, going, yes, 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 you know, we, you know, we believe in this. Uh, but then when the blades came out, or as I read here, the red hot irons, they're like, uh, yeah, look, actually, I have a thing. I have a thing. So I can't, I can't do that today. Um, and so... Um, the, <laughs> the vast majority of members um, had their members intact, so to speak. Uh, I just felt, I thought that I just I thought I thought that was amusing, and it also tells me here uh, a book that I've read a couple of times, uh, Dostoevsky's *The Idiot*. Because um, I, I, I had no until today, I had no sense that I'd ever heard this word before. But apparently, in *The Idiot*, Dostoevsky refers to the, the the home of one of the, the, the central characters, um, Rokozan. So Parfian Semyonovich Rokozan, he, his home is rented to Skopzi tenants. Um, so there you go. So it was obviously a very known thing. Um, yeah. So I just thought that was very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Nullos, smoothies, Skoptic syndrome, lesser seals and greater seals um people are mad aren't they people are mad um the again according to me according to wikipedia the the it's it's this be this practice has largely died out um but there was some reporting of a of a, a sect existing in romania in the 90s i think it said romania 
but one other high profile emasculation. I didn't even know emasculation literally meant the removal of the the testicles and the penis. I, thought, um, I just thought it was more figurative um, or, you know, the, 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 the idea of removing conventional sort of masculinity from one's person. But another high profile example of this in 2012 there was a um, performance artist in Japan uh, by the name of Mao Sugiyama and he advertised the fact that he was going to remove his genitals um, the uh, the sausage and, and beans and he 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 basically offered to sell them in a meal and he cooked a banquet with a huge number of guests. 70, was it 70 guests who each paid £160 sterling to eat his cooked genitals? Um, and I, I, I read that he was charged for indecent exposure um, and not for cannibalism well he didn't eat his I mean he did eat his own stuff but I, I read that cannibalism was legal in Japan and then I did a search saying why is cannibalism <laughs> that's very indignant why is cannibalism legal in Japan and I found articles going this is completely untrue uh, not what the guy did but it's untrue that cannibalism is legal in Japan um, but there you go I mean yeah look think i don't know I, I mean why am i sharing this with you other than is is that not fascinating is that not very interesting is that not wild um yeah i mean best of luck <laughs> best of luck to those people I, I wish them well um you know there's probably a much larger and far more serious discussion to be had around that idea of of shame guilt the sex urge um, but this this seems to exist in its own little enclosed world. And I tell you what's very interesting, in, you know, when we talk, when you hear me bang on about the internet and the deluge of information, and you know you're dealing with something very niche when there's actually very little information out there about it. And certainly this gentle nullification um, and scoptic syndrome falls into that category of there actually I didn't find a huge amount there uh, online um, but again maybe I'm not the greatest research researcher in the world okay so look um, I'm going to leave it there I think that's uh, I don't know what note that is to leave it on but um, I'm leaving it there and I'm not going to be signing up for any uh, scoptic sects anytime soon so Thank you for listening. I hope you um, found this diverting, engaging, interesting, amusing, perhaps in places, concerning and horrifying in others, maybe. Um, as always, you can throw me some love on social media. Go to the links wherever you're listening to this. And if you do want to become a supporter of this podcast, um, you can do so using either the supporter link for a one-off contribution or you can become a Patreon of a patron sorry a patron of the show using the patreon link that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out 
and anything you can give any comments you can leave any sharing or rating you can do i would greatly appreciate and i will express my gratitude because you know how i feel about that okay that's it take it easy mind yourselves stay safe and i'll talk to you next week all the best see you bye